Astra Economic Review. My name is John Eckstein. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Astra Investment Management. I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Nick Porter. Nick, hello. Hey, John. So we promised last time we're going to give you two weeks off, but events have intervened as the way they happen to do sometimes in this market. So we're recording this on Thursday, September 29th, and this is a special emergency episode dedicated to the excitement going on in the UK. So a lot of our investors are more, much more focused in the US, very natural, but what's going on in the UK has got a lot of attention and has been rebounding into effect the US market. So we thought we would just, just sort through this a bit. So let me give a little bit of background. Let's think about like, say two weeks ago, where were we thinking about the UK? Well, whatever problems the US have, like they've got it much worse right now, right? Like they've got inflation higher than us and they have a much more difficult outlook and just a tougher situation overall. So specifically, the UK doesn't have a lot of energy. They have to import their energy and a lot of their energy that they're importing is getting priced crazy, right? So like people are talking about if there's no intervention that the price to heat your house is going to, you know, go up fivefold over the course of the winter, right? So you should take a thousand pounds, whatever. Now it's going to take 5,000 pounds if there's no help. And that's just obviously a disaster for regular folks. At the same time, again, like inflation outside of energy has been super high. So as a result, everyone, or by everyone, I mean economists, economists are expecting a absolute fall in GDP in the UK next year. Nick, you want to guess how often that happens in our records? How often does the UK see outright recession? How often do economists forecast recession for for a major economy? Probably many more times than it actually happens. Many fewer times. Never happens. People never, it's like less than 1% of the time, less than 1% of months. People never see recessions coming because they don't. Like, that's just, we say all the time, like, if you could predict recessions reliably, they wouldn't happen because somebody would intervene to make sure it didn't happen. So economists never see recessions coming of the last 30 years. There's been four months where economists expected a next year negative GDP in the UK. There's been two months in the US on our metrics. So it's extremely rare. Do you think there's a fair summary so far of, of where we were, say, two weeks ago, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, just to put some numbers around that in Q2, quarter over quarter, real GDP was down 0.1%. We really see that trend or composite forecast, see that trend continuing throughout 2022 and maybe even 2023. Their price pressures year over year have been 9.2% in Q2 and are expected to rise in Q3 to 10%. They seem to decline in terms of trade. Their current account balance is probably going to end up somewhere around negative 5% of GDP. And yeah, like you said, the consumer is really getting crushed both by energy prices and also in the UK, they don't really do these, you know, things like 30-year fixed rate mortgages like uh, we do in the US. So for a person who started with a two-year fixed rate mortgage, you know, now they're finding that their rate is 2% higher and that's quite a bit much more money. Americans do not realize like the last... The last big giveaway to the middle class in America is mortgages, right? You get a 30-year fixed, you get the right to renegotiate it if rates go down, and you get to take it off your taxes. It's like, that's the last big deal that the middle class has. So enjoy it, friends. Um, 
And in most of the world, it's floating rates and the terms are much shorter. And so in the backdrop of this also, we have had a change in leadership, not a change in party governing, but a change in leadership in the UK. It's sort of an uninspired suite of candidates, one of the most non-interesting, most boring, at least. <laughs> what are they? Somebody won Liz Haas. She's been in office about four weeks now, I guess. So we were in the backdrop two weeks ago. The whole island is on fire. Everyone's going to be poorer. And what they decide to do is their policy fix, Nick. Well, some of it was telegraphed ahead and some of it was not. And I think it's really the latter component that got them into trouble. Ultimately, the new government, the trust government, released the mini budget. And really what a mini budget means is that it's not a full budget and they don't really release some of the fiscal impact stats they would. And the plan was to spend 60 billion pounds. And most of that really going towards reducing energy bills, putting out an energy cap across households and businesses. I think it's fair to say that that was fairly well-intentioned and certainly needed for low-income households. And also some sort of supply-side tax maneuvers bringing down the rate of income tax from 20% to 19%, not increasing corporate taxes, and even reducing the top income marginal tax rate from 45 to 40% for those who make over 150,000 pounds. And as a result, it's estimated that the UK would have to raise about 70 billion pounds over the rest of the financial year. Right. And um, so you got to remember, like, the UK is not the US, right? There's like $70 billion, like nobody really, that's, no one's going to notice that. On this very podcast, we've dismissed 50 or $100 billion as, as not being relevant, but that's not the case in the UK, right? It's a much smaller economy. It's not as rich as we are. And that is a 50% increase in the expected net borrowing requirement. So the pieces were subsidizing energy price, energy consumption, right, with consumers, and then also sort of freeform the one thing that conservative parties want to do is cut taxes for rich people. And so these tax cuts were focused towards the wealthy. Yeah, I think, yeah, again, I think it's worth noting that although the tax cuts that for particularly for high-income earners and also this sort of tax on property transactions, which they call a stamp duty, that's really only about a quarter of the, of the long-run cost of this bill, but I think that's really what had the market concerned. Yeah, and that's also like, for example, they got a scolding letter from the IMF, right? Huh. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty interesting that the U.S. administration has apparently been leaning on the U.K. government through the IMF. And the IMF statement brought up two things. One is financial responsibility and working at odds with monetary policy. And the other is a little bit more unusual, which is talking about income inequality and the tax cuts for the per bracket of income earners. So that came out and a sort of stately but steady decline in the gilt market, in particular, the British government bond market. So a colleague of ours suggested we title this podcast Guilty as Charged, G-I-L-T-Y, but we didn't, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, the gilt market went from a steady decline to a precipitous decline, right? So 30-year gilts were up one and a half percentage points, 150 basis points in a couple of days. And that's unheard of. So what's going on there, whenever things get out of control in the financial market, you can be pretty sure that leverage is behind it. And in this case, leverage was indeed behind it. So the story with the market getting out of control Basically, the losses snowballed because leveraged players had to get out in a hurry 
or get shut out by their bankers. In this case, the leveraged players were not that Wall Street villain, the hedge funds. They were pension funds, which are supposed to be sort of stayed and secure institutions. But basically, the ideal for a pension fund would be to have a bunch of zero-coupon bonds that pay off exactly when your liabilities come due, right? So the pension fund, I got to pay Nick 100,000 pounds in a year and a half, so I should have a, a zero-coupon bond that meets that need exactly. That can't happen. But what you can do is buy a bunch of derivatives to try and make sure that does happen. But it looks like it has happened. So it's called liability matching. And it's a big deal in the UK. And so when yields go up, the pensions are actually in better shape because their liabilities go down because of the discount, right? Your discounting factor goes up. So you owe less money. The net present value of what you owe is lower. So that's that's good tick. But the bad thing is that they've levered up all these derivatives at BlackRock, and those need margin payments. And so basically, the decline was so precipitous that people were worried that pension funds were going to exactly go bankrupt, right? Like everything's going to even out in the end, but it was going to be a huge discontinuous mess. And so... Yesterday, the 28th, the Bank of England, which has been raising rates because inflation is going to be 9% this year. So yes, please raise rates. The Bank of England stepped in to not sell bonds that it's doing under its QE program, but to buy more bonds in its QE program. And how'd the market take that, Nick? They took it reasonably well. Uh, the 30 years were rallied back on September 8th when the mini budget was released. 10 year yields for the UK were 3.1%. They peaked at 4.5%. And now, after the Bank of England's announcement uh, that it would be buying 30 years, the 10 year yield is down to back down to about 4.1%. So, some sort of right sizing there. The pound has rallied a bit as well. Yeah, like I do think that the Bank of England in the case of the gilt market. So the Bank of England is one of the few banks, they've actually said that they will be the market maker of last resort. Like, I'm not sure this is a dog, but they've, they've said it. I'm not sure they've said it more than once. They said it in the financial crisis. This is, I know that because like, this is the one thing I taught Richard Clarida because he didn't know that. So I felt pretty smug about that actually. Um, I know. So I do think that they are stepping in to just sort of smooth out this market. But they have a tricky problem, right? Central banks are usually pretty interested in their currency. And the currency was also declining precipitously. And people, I think you were looking for an intermeeting hike, right? So one thing central banks can do to try to defend the currency is raise interest rates. And you were kind of looking for an intermeeting hike. But you were also saying that you think the UK is trading a little bit more like an emerging market. You want to tell me what you meant by that? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's sort of this interesting question where the UK has been raising rates not totally online with the US. The current target is 2.5. They're probably going to get somewhere around 4.5 or, or maybe even further. And the pound has declined pretty precipitously this year against the dollar. And this mini budget was, I would say, relatively milquetoast. The, the energy subsidies were pretty well telegraphed ahead of time. Okay, supply side tax cuts are working at odds with monetary policy, not a good idea. But be that as it may, the UK has sort of found itself in a spot where the Bank of England is now having to 
justify for your guilt. That seems to me like more of a balance of payments crisis than you would typically expect with the developed market economy. Yeah, and to be clear, the bank is in a tricky situation, right? Like they've got a cratering economy and skyrocketing inflation. And how are they going to square that circle? Like they formally do not have a dual mandate, right? They've got a single mandate, though it's just laid out in a letter from the chancellor. Like it's all like very British and kind of informal and hurm from we'll make this out of the we'll figure it out the gentlemen's club boys. But they've got a single mandate inflation, but they're not inflation nutters. They haven't been historically. And so, like, what are they going to do with 11% inflation and people worried about the government was sending out things about eating moldy bread, right? Like, like <laughs> it's probably safe to eat this bread if you scrape the mold off. It's like, really? Is that what, the, is that what we're doing in the UK? Once a queen dies, everything goes to hell. They've got a tricky situation. They want to raise rates to control inflation, but... I think they don't want to raise them too much because of the sort of disaster in the economy. So now it looks like from the outside, are they monetizing the debt? Are they going to defend the pound? What's going to go on there? And so the short-term reaction we've seen the last 48 hours has been a sharp rally in the gilts, the British government bonds. So now they're down 8% of the last 10 days versus being down... 12%. 12%. So that's good from their standpoint. There's sort of more of a two-way market. And the pound, the pound has also rallied the last, say, 36 hours since the probably up by, by 3%, still down 3 or 4% over the last couple of weeks. But just trying to get two-way markets in there might be helpful from their standpoint. The rally in the gilts yesterday bled over to the whole to the government bond markets in the rest of the world. So our government bonds were up several percent yesterday and they're giving back a little bit today, but they're not giving back everything they made. And so there's a sense that maybe a little bit of a temporary, at least a temporary bounce in fixed income prices where yields in the US again got up like 4% a couple of days ago, now they're back down to 375, which is still up a lot for the year, but trying to just be a little bit more of an orderly marketplace. That's where you are. You have any thoughts on spillovers next? Well, I do think it's just worth mentioning sort of the path going forward that Prime Minister, Prime Minister Truss has come out about seven hours ago and said that despite the market reaction, you know, there isn't going to be any change to their fiscal policy stance. And I don't think that bodes particularly well for the UK and for easing the Bank of England's decisions. There are just going to be sort of this, this fiscal push into an inflationary environment, as you've said, probably pretty adverse macro backdrop going forward. And the Bank of England, which was supposed to be selling government bonds, is going to probably continue to buy government bonds to the tune of £65 billion while also raising rates. And I think that's a bit of a policy muddle, and it's not totally coherent. It's not coherent. Like they're lucky they don't have a meeting till November, I think, right? Right. And they said they were just going to buy for a month. So that's possibly how they could do it. Like this isn't really QE. We're just like, we're just smoothing out some market waters and we'll be, so we'll buy for another month and then we'll hike rates. And then we'll, they were supposed to start selling their QE positions in October. And obviously that seems to be put off, but they, they can still like, 
do it in December, right? And like, it's not that big of a change, but we will see. The one thing I do want to mention is like, from our standpoint, you know, a lot of our investors are not affected directly by the UK stuff, though we do have some products that do take more sort of global macro positions. You know, and I will say that from our standpoint, whatever the precipitating event is, we've been pretty bearish on the UK for a while. Didn't like their government bonds, didn't like the pound. And those are for reasons that didn't have to do with some sort of specific event, like the micro budget or whatever, but more things like the current account deficits being high and the weakness in the economy is an important thing for our bearishness on them. There's not like a lot of good news from what we see on the pound. We're maybe less pessimistic than we were two months ago, but also pounds come down a lot. So that makes, that makes sense. And again, in the gilts, the budget balance is high. The budget balance is rising. Those are things that we don't like to see in a bond market. Volatility is high. We don't like to see that. The yield curve is not attractive right now. So there's sort of a lot of things that have been adding up to us being able to take advantage of some of these declines for some of our macro programs. So if you want more information on that, you should reach out to your Aster sales representative. And if you would like more of our economic analysis, you can check out the Aster website, asterim, like for im for investmentmanagement.com. And we will be back in a week with the latest U.S. unemployment report. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, John. To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asteriam.com or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and our app is also available on the App Store and Google Play. Thank you. Aster Investment Management LLC is a SEC registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change, they are not intended as investment recommendations.